welcome to the Keen on Yoga podcast, bringing you the stories of many people who in various ways are attempting to walk the path of yoga. Our intention is to inspire your own practice and commitment to yoga beyond the mat and in all areas of life. We consider this an offering, a service to the community and labour of love. If you feel inclined, any donations are appreciated, just visit our page and click the donate button at www.keenonyoga.co.uk forward slash podcast. I hope you enjoy the show. Today's guests on the Keenan Yoga podcast are David and Stephen Flynn of the Happy Pear Cafe. In 2001, David and Stephen decided to get in shape for a marathon after traveling around Europe, eating and drinking badly. After trying a few different approaches, they found the plant-based diet worked best. Inseparable twins, they shared a wardrobe until they were 20, declaring first up best dressed. They started the Happy Pear in Greystones, County Wicklow, in 2004, when they're only 24 years old, as a place to buy organic veg and whole foods. After working hard, they opened a cafe and have gradually grown the business into employing over 100 people, online courses, four cookbooks, a sprout and wheatgrass farm and roastery followed, as well as their own line in rate and waitrose and filming for Jamie Oliver's food channel, amongst many other things. Their cookbook, The Happy Pear, was a number one bestseller for two years in a row, outselling Jamie Oliver's this Christmas. Their message is engagement, inclusivity and fun in diet. Outside work, they have five kids between them, but are still up baking bread at 5.30. Training, then ready for their famous dip in the sea, which they do every day of the year, even when the water is officially freezing. You can find out more about them and their recipes on their website, thehappypair.ie. So welcome to the Keenon Yoga podcast, The Happy Pair, twins David and Stephen Flynn. Welcome. Cheers, man. here. Yeah, genuinely, yeah. Lovely. Great to have you. Great to have you. Um, so, could you just give us a basic intro on how you how you got into a how you got to where you are with the vegan food and and yeah, it's like a little okay, bit of back. Highlight, yeah, highlight scale. Twenty years mm. in two minutes. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah. So we're identical twins, Dave and Steve Flynn. We're both forty-one at the moment, and we grew up eating in a small little town in Ireland, Greystones, right by the sea. Quite idyllic. We didn't realize at the time that it was so idyllic because you didn't have any reference point, mm. and. Um, like as teenagers, we're we're meat and two veg. We're, we grew up in a family all boys, so very alpha male. Like growing up in, in a pack of wolves, really. All boys schools, a lot of rugby. You know, at the time when we finished school, we were playing semi-pro rugby. We were big into booze and loads of burgers and pints. We were doing male modeling. We were off nearly scratching golf. We were overachievers in loads of ways. And yeah. um, then we ended up after studying business, we both felt a little hollow. So we kind of decided we'd try we'd kind of tried a lot of things that society said you should do to be to feel good and be successful and yeah. we kind of failed in a lot of them that then we one Christmas Steve said I'm going away and I'm not coming back till I'm happy and I was like okay cool I'm going to go somewhere else too so we split up separately and All Steve right. went away to Canada for you went away to Worcester to go be a snowboard instructor and I went to South Africa to go be a golf pro and it was just a journey to learn more about life really and to try to understand ourselves as individuals and where we yeah feel most at home and what we're interested in and, and, this, and this, is, this is back in 2001 so it was, quite yeah, a while it was 20 ago. years ago and it was I guess on that journey that we realized we were much more interested in health and happiness and community and mm. uh, through that through that realization we decided let's start a business 
to try well, it was, it was it was more we started start a food revolution that was really the basic premise of it let's try to encourage like from where we came from with the standards meat and two veg diet and the basic yeah. you know kind of drinking loads of booze and this type of thing we found yeah. through our own experience that we felt much better we we'd more energy we felt more enthusiastic about life uh, and we thought geez I, w- I wonder can we start a food revolution and encourage others to experience the same so, so- we so we ended up leaving. We left in 2001 as two like jocks wearing Ralph Lauren shirts, Levi jeans, Nike Air Max, short, short, uh, short kind of tidy little rugby player hair. Yeah. And then we came back two years later as long haired hippies with beards that wore plaid pants that were now vegans that did yoga, were into swimming in the sea and we're now starting a vegetable shop. So people thought hey, your, we were- parents, your parents must have been pleased. Uh, <laughs> but not yeah. only our parents, like we're from a small little town, so like yeah, well, yeah, all your mates as well. But, yeah, but when, when when you were going into it and experimenting, I mean, I suppose you must have not been feeling so great with the food in the first place, right? Like, I mean, what got you on the track of the food, and did your experiences away make you see something different? Because I know I have a background in Ireland as well, and I know that the the food, and even in England, has been very very narrow minded. Back when we were younger, I'm this. I'm the same age as you. So, right. And you couldn't get coriander in a supermarket. You couldn't get like anything, right? Like tahini. So like you must have had those experiences abroad to influence your food, right? I think at the time there was no realization that we felt bad and that we could possibly feel better. It was more just curiosity, a kind of a restlessness, a sense of curiosity. I wonder, is there more to life? And it all kind of came about a friend was turning 40 when we were 21, Tommy Kelly. And he, he kind of said, lads, would you do a marathon for my birthday with me? You know, turning 40, you think it'd be good. And we said, great. Yeah, sure thing, Tommy. The marathon was the end of October and we just signed up for it. Didn't really think about training, thought nothing about it. it was like, yeah, deadly cool. See you then, Tommy. And we forgot to train. We, um, and we went to, we ended up, we finished university. Mom didn't think we'd, you know, wasn't sure if we'd necessarily get through. And we got through. So she wanted to, amazing. I'm so happy for you, lads. I bought you a ticket to go interrailing around Europe. So a ticket to go traveling around Europe. So we, we spent the month traveling around Europe, getting drunk and kind of chasing international women. Um, and when we, when we came back, we, it turned out we'd a month until this marathon. And we, we didn't, we forgot to train. So it was like, Dave, I wonder, like, Remember Keith Barry in sixth year biology used to talk about a detox. You know, I wonder what a detox is. And back then, like 20 years ago, we didn't have the internet. Um, you went down to the next best thing, the local library. Uh, and they had a book. They, they, they didn't actually have a book on detox, but there was one in Dublin. And they posted it out. It took a week and we got it. And we started reading through. It was like, right, Dave. So no white bread, just brown bread. Um, we're going to have porridge, none of those cereals. Uh, we're going to eat loads of vegetables and no booze. And no crap, like no processed foods, no shite. Uh, yeah. I wasn't meant to curse, but um, and, and we kind of did that for, I guess, up until the marathon. And we felt we found we felt better. We had more energy and we actually saved money and we were more stable, like we were more steady. Right. And then we mm. ended up kind of going, this was October, the Dublin Marathon's always around Halloween. So at Halloween, we just said, OK, I wonder, could we do it till Christmas? And then we kept going till Christmas. And I remember... At Christmas time, we were meant to meet all our rugby player friends to kind of get back, become real men again and start drinking beer again. And I remember we went out and all the points were poured and we both only made it through about half a point. And it just didn't sit with us anymore. And we ended up leaving and going home early. And a month later, we went away on this journey of our own kind of little, I guess, 
like wander into life to see what else life had an offer. And mm-hmm. on, that, on that path, I guess the seeds of diet affecting your health had already been sown. So we we ended up, um, yeah, changing our diet completely to a vegan diet, which in 2001 was quite extreme. And we both had done it separately in different parts of the world. And then we ended up spending a lot of time in meditation centers. And yeah, and we, and we I guess we were curious, like, first of all, became vegetarian. We were kind of curious. I wonder, can I reach enlightenment through food? Like if I eat like a kilo of kale, of kale will I suddenly be like, yeah. like a better human? You know, and, and kind of. Yeah, yeah. And then I, I, I remember in Whistler, I remember uh, there was there was a, a place that served this vegetarian chili that had eight different vegetables in it. I remember eating and thinking like, like when are all these like superpowers going to kick in? When am I going to like have much more energy and feel like stronger and all this? Uh, so it was, and yeah. even and even that yeah. same mentality, like probably a year later when we were. Um, like we changed from like obviously we changed to a, vegetarian, a vegan diet and then got interested started reading more and got kind of kind of go, oh my god if i stay on this path will i become the happiest most enlightened human ever and i remember changing to a raw food diet and then getting right. a, i met a guy in Costa who was training to be a breatharian he had done loads of different fasts so i got into fasting and doing week-long fasts and doing enemas and doing all sorts of cleanses and then kind of um and then after that, we ended up coming home and starting the vegetable shop. We started with a little vegetable shop, age 24, and we called it the Happy Pear. And the whole idea was to try to, you know, inspire others to to live yeah. a healthier life, you know, a healthier life, really. So obviously you're feeling better with that diet, but it wasn't primarily for ethical reasons, first of all. It was just because you were feeling better out of it, right? Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. curiosity. Total curiosity was like, this feels good. Let's see right. what happens. Let's do exper- yeah, an experiment. And you must have, I mean, you know, just as a sidebar, you must have lost, well, or changed your, your like, your social circle a lot, right? Hugely, yeah. yeah. Well, you know yourself, yeah. as you change your diet and lifestyle, you need to try to create an environment that supports it. So I think when we came back, if we were to hang out with our old mates, we'd be back boozing and drinking meat and, you know, yeah. rugby again, but we clearly didn't want to do that. So one of the main reasons or, or the most selfish reason why we started the happy pair was we wanted to create kind of a physical location yeah, where right. we could build a community that would support yeah. this way of life. Um, yeah. And kind of quick enough, we ended up uh, like different people showed up, like just lots of people showed up and it was from yeah. the town or from other places. Uh, it was more, I think initially it was probably foreigners. Like I remember at the, uh, once we first started, it was a lot of Spanish people. There was loads <laughs> of Spaniards. We had both been away traveling. I spoke good Spanish. So we ended up, a whole lot of Spanish people started becoming our friends. And then and then there were different people that and came then, out of the woodwork. And then you, when you're having fun and you're yeah. having a good time, people are attracted and curious. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. You make lots and you of call it, I mean, you call it plant-based, right? So you, know, you don't really kind of call it, you're not like militant vegans or anything. I mean, what, what's your kind of opinion on that, right? Well, I, I, for many years, we were militant vegans, I think. It's, well, you, you were quite proselytizing, quite, you know. Well, like, well, like at the start, I guess, but you know, when you're, you're, you're trying you're to enthusiast. fight to maintain your own identity when yeah. you're in an environment, like back 20 years ago, it was really weird being a vegan. You didn't tell people because it was so obscure. Uh, like I remember we came back from traveling and I remember having to call up a friend, Gavin Keller and ask him, Gav, can I speak to your brother, Andy? He, he's the town vegan, isn't he? And I remember it was like, Andy, how's it going? You're a vegan, aren't you? Any chance we could meet up and talk no, about <laughs> Yeah, like any chance we could meet up and talk about what it's like to be vegan in Greystones. And yeah, it was right. like that. So, so you didn't really tell people and yeah. you had to fight for your identity because otherwise you're going to be swallowed up because it was like, what? You only eat vegetables. You're weird. You know, so it was, there was a bit of that. But I guess over time we realized that I think as we became more comfortable with it and less, it became less of this big 
I'm vegan. Yeah. I'm vegan. Vegan suddenly it's something that just I think it be- when it became more socially accepted, or maybe within ourselves. Like I'd say, certainly the last ten years we've been, you know, it's 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 our message has never been about trying to make anyone a vegan or a vegetarian. It's just trying to eat more fruit and veg because genuinely it makes you feel better. Like in the basket, yeah, yeah. you know, whole foods. And you remember another interview, I think, saying your parents or your mum was really upset when you came back and you said, oh, you know, I'm not going to have that meat anymore. And, you know, she was kind of offended, right? Like, and oh. I think a lot, a lot of people have been in that experience. And how, how did you change it? Because I think now you say that your parents often eat vegan, right? Not completely, yeah. maybe. But yeah. Yeah, they've eaten vegan for probably yeah, 10, for 10 years. Yeah. Now, over 10 years, years yeah. or something. So, yeah, but I remember the first time we came back, this is 20 years ago, and uh, I remember mum, Mom, obviously the the twins, the the lads were coming home. Oh, let's cook the fancy dinner! And like an Irish mammy, they always cook. You know, they share their love via food. So uh, we came home, and she and like you know, we said, "Oh, mom, we're we're vegans." Like you know, we, we want vegan dinner. And she says, "Ah, feck, feck the lads! I'm going to cook the beef and I'll cook the lamb." And she's taking <laughs> over themselves. She's nearly vegetables or whatever. And she's gone around and she's, you know, oh, ducks, will you will you carve the beef there? And dad's up cutting the beef and, you know, whatever. Dad, uh, uh, Mark, what would you like? I'd love the beef, isn't it? Your beef is glorious. And, and she, <laughs> mom serves the beef out to Mark. Uh, Dara, what do you have? Oh, no, no. <laughs> Thanks, Neil. Steve, what would you like? Mom, I told you I'm a beef. Yeah, what? Yeah, what? <laughs> You're not being a second vegan in my house. You know, it was that kind of. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. He went off and said other things, but. Uh, what did you do? What, how did you change it? How did you turn it around? I think we were fortunate that there's two of us so that you naturally have an alliance there and there's, there's yeah. a strength in numbers. And I think it just takes time. You know, I think society has fortunately over yeah. the past recent years has really changed its Usually. paradigm yeah. on plant-based food. And I guess they saw it meant a huge amount to us and they were curious. And dad's, dad's an engineer and I think we gave him a few books to read. And his, we gave uh, China study. I think it was the China study and a couple of books like that and he read them and they were very rooted in, like they spoke to an engineer. So right, he, right. he was suddenly a lot more interested in our lentils and our, you know, what we were up to, what the lads were up to. So, yeah. Well, I was going to say, like, when you became, like, on this path that you've done for like 20 years now and, you know, you've been through probably for, and changed your diets as well right like because well we know that there weren't such you know vegan foods around then as there are now what's the most surprising thing that you learned about the diet or you've experienced um like, like i think it's kind I, of, I think 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 I, do you want to go i, I was just going to say i think like initially as you said we kind of changed our diet because it was it was selfish kind of health reasons it was like wow yeah. can i get more energy can i feel more myself yeah. And then, but there was a good instinct that there was more to it, and I think yeah. the realization that it all like politics starts on your plate, like it really does. Yeah. Like, the world you want to build, you vote for it every time you choose to eat. And I think if you want to build a world that's more sustainable, that's more compassionate, more environmentally sound, like you're probably going to be leaning far towards the local vegetables, like local kind of plants rather than your animals, you know, because there's just so much inherent more energy in them. And the agriculture systems are very different between animal versus horticulture, you know. And even like society has changed massively. Like when we first went vegan, uh, you couldn't get lentils in the supermarket. You couldn't get tahini. You couldn't get like the supermarket didn't sell any of that weird stuff. You had to go to the health food So that's why yeah. we started our own. That's shop. why we started our own shop because we wanted to create an environment that supported us and that was like 
anyone that came in was like, oh, cool, you're cooking lentils. You like lentils? I like lentils too. And then Can after, we be friends? And then after a year of starting the bed shop, we started a cafe next door to it. So it was, uh, you know. Right. It was, First of all, you just had the shop and then you start the cafe after that. Yeah. So, so then we had, you know, we had, a, it was easy. We had our own, we had chefs there. You know, we were, yeah. we were, and I guess over the 16 years, it's gone from where we've had four cafes, you know, a few hundred people working with us. We've written five best-selling cookbooks, we've online courses, we've products in about a thousand stores. There's loads of, the business has, I guess, gone on from me and Dave, two hippies with a dream, to where it's become a lot more multifaceted and really fun and diverse as society, I guess, itself. Yeah, yeah. no, it's incredible what you've done. Um, and we'll go, I think we'll kind of go on to that in a sec. But I, I wanted to kind of ask you, like, what, what the change of your done When you started, I mean, I suppose you probably hadn't cooked much in your life, or if you had, it would just be some meat in the pan or something right um yeah. so what what was your cooking like then what did you cook then and how has it changed to what you're cooking now obviously your top you know your top cooks now your top chefs now like what what was the evolution and what were you eating then and what are you eating now what's the difference yeah i think growing up at least in ireland and as we said we've four we've three brothers a family of four boys and went to all boys schools and played a lot of rugby and it was very male orientated quite macho meat 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 and then as we became teenagers it was meat and beer Meat and beer. Uh, and that was kind of it, really. There wasn't, you didn't really, food was fuel. You didn't consider where the food came from, whether it was healthy or not. It was just mm. the more the better. And Great. barbecue. And our favorite meal was barbecue. Like, you know, it was and, that kind of. And we played. Because you know, there was a whole lot of men standing around with cans of beer looking at a barbecue. Whoa. And I guess playing semi-pro rugby, we kind of had big necks. And we were kind of meatheads. We were kind of bulky kind of guys. We were, but we, we, we seldom went to over 85 kilos. And I guess through that journey, you know, I think as you change your diet and awareness grows about one, oh, wow, I didn't realize, you know, beef was actually from a cow. I, I never really yeah. thought of that, you know, that way. And you, st- it, I guess yeah. over that journey, it kind of gave us an opportunity to reflect on where our food comes from, how it's grown, what, like, it, do my food choices matter? And not only do they affect me, they affect more. So I think as that awareness came, it became a lot more, wow, there's more to this than simply just myself. This is, I have a wonderful opportunity to, to vote for a different system every time I eat. Mm-hmm. And I think food, like our own cooking journey was we were never into chefs. We were never cooks. We, we were, a friend used to call us cereal killers because we used to eat so much cereal. Yeah. yeah. We used to eat like, you know, boxes of bran flakes and bags of Alpen. And mom used to buy industrial sized bags of muesli because we just, we were like a pair of horses. <laughs> and I remember, I remember we we're in Whistler. I was in Whistler, which yeah. is a cool ski resort with like cool yeah. party town, beautiful people. It was like, whoa. And I had just kind of turned vegetarian. And I remember... I didn't go to any of the parties. I used to, as soon as I'd finished work up the mountain, I'd go straight down to the library and read vegetarian cookbooks. And I tried to understand how does this happen? How does it work? And there were a few other really nerds that I would never have hung out with, but they were into the vegetables too. So we used to have vegetarian potluck nights and they were my buddies. And that was like the start of my journey with food. And then I went tree planting in Northern Canada where I used to get a helicopter to work every day. And I had to like, maybe a hundred people at the camp. There was one vegetarian and that was me. And I used to cater for me and I used to be the weird one, but I was very comfortable in my own. I don't know. It just felt more me. And I guess true. That's right. Friend, the other way around now, wouldn't it? It'd be like one meat, you know, yeah, and the rest yeah, of it, everyone else is like some kind of vegan, right? You know? Yeah, um, well, so you seem like you changed your attitudes around the food at that time. You were standing around the barbecue before with the lads and then something to do with the diet or was it, 
was it something to do with your attitude already that wanted to change? Or did you think it was actually literally what you were eating that changed your mentality as well? I think it was both. I think one, it was our social structure. Like, you know, the way when you leave your your typical, like, you know, at the time, as Steve said, we were all boys, all rugby, like our friends were all rugby players. It was that kind of environment. So when you took us out of that environment and put us out by ourselves, it was probably the first time in our own lives that we actually got to go, who am I? Who am I independent of who other people think I should be? And who do I want to be? And who do I want to be? And even like, you know, we went and we both went away traveling separately for a couple of years and we ended up kind of exploring and seeing which felt most right to us. And I guess food was an easy place to start. We'd started that journey. And and, mm-hmm. and probably once you start, once you're, my, once you're in a new environment and you're, you've started on this journey, you know, it, it just kind of, there's inertia in it, you know. And what were you cooking back then? I mean, Stephen, you said you were studying the cookbooks and I don't know what you were doing, David, but what were your kind of go-to meals at that time? I couldn't even tell you. It was all pretty basic. I remember yeah. like, I remember in Whistler, there wasn't much of a whole food shop or even a health shop there. And I remember yeah. there was a shop in the town down the road. And I remember hitchhiking for about an hour in the snow to get to this shop so I could buy bulgur and I could buy barley. And I remember getting back up and thinking, oh my God, I cannot wait to try this bulgur. This is going to give me superpowers. This is like it. And I remember cooking it and tasting it and go, just tastes like fucking rice. Like <laughs> I remember I was, I was so disappointed. Uh, you know that way? So I was, I was just curious. And, and similarly, yeah, I, remember yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was reading a book about sprouting, like sprouting lentils and sprouting mm. beans. And I started sprouting beans and lentils and spread of wheat berries. I remember thinking, fuck, oh, I'm going to eat these and I'm going to be like walking around like the biggest, strongest, most intelligent person here ever. And I remember eating them similarly kind of going, they're not working. Like, like you know, I want my money back. <laughs> When's this happening? happening? Yeah. I remember I had a similar thing. I was in Vancouver. My wife's Canadian. So we went to Vancouver and it was like about 2007 and I was a vegetarian already, but, but back at that time it was started to become plant-based, vegan, raw. And I started looking at all the, like the sand or cats, you know, the raw fermentation and to get into that, you know, and kind of thinking about that, you know, you kind of ferment this stuff for weeks and weeks and weeks. And then you try it and it's like, oh, that's, that's kind of just weird. (laughs) But did you, I mean, you must've started to feel a lot better, right? With the food, with the change of diet. Yeah. Yeah. I think, think more, feeling more ourselves. Like I think that. You had more energy. I mean, guys listening to this and guys generally who aren't into this or immediately go, oh, well, you're going to lose a lot of muscle mass. You're not going to have that strength anymore. Where do you get your protein from? How would you answer that kind of question that's been, I'm sure, asked you a million times over? Even back when I think back then, at that when we were away traveling, like I remember I had, like we changed our diet and I remember I was, I was hanging around with this breatharian guy, this totally out there kind of guy. And so I went off and did a one-week water fast on the beach and was just drinking water and looking at the sea and it was a pretty hard week. But I remember afterwards, the day after, it was like, oh, there's a 30-mile road race going. Oh, cool. I haven't eaten in a week. Okay, sure, I'll do it. And I remember hadn't trained, hadn't ran, hadn't done a thing, and went and did a 30-mile road race straight after it, which was very – It was. I just wanted to – as we said, we were curious and experimenting. And um, I obviously didn't win it, but I managed to do it pretty easily. Yeah. And, um, and, and even today, we're still 85 kilos. Like, we haven't lost – we're still – Nick, like we're, even we were part of a study in the university here in Dublin University College few Dublin a few ago. years ago um, it was a twin study and they were comparing the impact of lifestyle diet and lifestyle on nature versus nurture on identical and fraternal twins and we were the identical twins were one there of was the six, sets yeah there were 60 sets I think of identical twins and 60 sets of non-identical twins and they brought you into like it was proper study they brought you into labs and they were prodding you and poking you and 
all sorts of things yeah. and taking blood samples and all sorts of samples. And we were anyway, I remember they put you in this bod pod, which was this capsule that measured your body fat, but it was like, it wasn't like those little pinch things. It was like a serious chamber. Yeah, the chamber. And uh, and I remember intimidating. And then, yeah, I remember they had had the Leinster, the professional rugby team were in the week before us, the Leinster rugby team. And they were all professional athletes, like all males. And the, the lowest on the professional rugby team in terms of body fat was 10%, 10, 10 11%. 10, 11%, I think. And we went in there. We obviously are not elite athletes in any sense. We're both vegetable men. And Stephen was 7% and I was 6% which is like, you know, uh, an Olympic athlete, Olympic athlete. So we we're not like very lean, you know, lean. So, but still had 85 kilos. So I think if anyone listening is considering to trying to eat more whole foods, yeah, just yeah. they're naturally higher in fiber and lower in calories and typically lower in energy density. So if you are considering shifting to a plant-based diet, just make sure you're consuming enough calories. So just eat those. You can eat like you're eating the right kind of food. Like a horse. You can eat right. the cows come home like, you don't, you don't think you need the protein. It's not the protein, then it's the calories, is it? Yeah, because yeah, as you consume more calories, you're naturally going to be. Because look at protein. all the biggest creatures on the planet. They're all plant munchers. Like, you know, they don't, and they just spend the day eating. Like, so, like, body mass is just like protein. Everything is protein. Protein, like, is okay. you don't look to anything particular as a protein supplement. You don't use supplements. You don't use a lot of tofu or tempeh, or no. you, you consider protein particularly, you just eat. A good amount of everything. I think it's more like, you know, the, the current culture is much more focused on protein and particularly it tends yeah. to be more synonymous in male culture because yeah. people like and people are taking some people are taking protein to lose weight, some people are taking protein to gain weight. Yeah. Loads of people going to the gym, they think they need a protein shape. It's obligatory when you go in the door. But like 90, 98% of people are not getting enough fiber. And fiber right. you only get from fruit and veg, whole grains, beans. And nuts and seeds, you only get it from the plant food. So in that context, like nearly everyone is not eating enough fruit and veg. And we're all focused on this macronutrient called protein, which is very important. But you never hear of anyone getting sick with a protein deficiency. Or like very this. seldom. Well, no, like I, I don't think I've ever heard of anyone in the Western world, in, in my close circles, to say, hey, uh, I'm sorry, I didn't come to work today. I didn't get enough protein. I'm just at home in bed, like emaciated. You know, it's not a... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, you, don't, you, don't eat, you don't use any supplements? Nothing like that? No protein? B12 is the only one. B12 is the only one we take. B12, okay. Yeah. But and typically, four out of 10 omnivores are deficient in B12. So it's not something that's exclusively to plant-based yeah. people. I think it's something that everyone, anyone listening who's concerned about their own health, get a blood test and just check your B12 levels. Right, right. Um, and that's, I mean, that's, I think that, that was a take-home point of your your new, your new, is it a course I think you're doing on gut health? Yeah, yeah we've got a course. And, yeah. yeah, and the fact of the fiber, that was the main kind of crux of it, wasn't it? That you basically people need more fiber, right? Is that right? Yeah, even, even, even just, I'll tell a little story on that. There was back, yeah. uh, like we started, the, the happy pair because we wanted to try to get people to eat more fruit and veg and be happier and healthier and after about a couple of years we'd end up um you know we were cooking with the cafe and with the shop and we kind of wanted to see if like people we used to do cooking classes and they'd come along and they'd learn how to cook but they wouldn't really change so i remember we uh one day we had the idea like i remember a lady came into the shop it was mary cahill and she said oh jesus you wouldn't believe it lads like i've lost four kilos since christmas and on Weight Watchers, and and uh, we were like, oh, great, brilliant. And she left anyway, and Steve says to me, he says, geez, like, people love measuring the improvement to their health. Like, can we come up with some measurement right. for the improvement mm -hmm. to their health? And I wonder, um, can we make a course of it? So so I was reading this book by this doctor at the time. This is, like, back in 2010 by this doctor, Dean Ornish. 
And he had shown in clinical trials, the most rigor, rigorous scientific trials, that you could reverse all the indicators for heart disease by changing to a plant-based diet. So I'm reading this book and, and I said, geez, Steve, I wonder, like, would this work in Ireland in four weeks? He was like, and he said, geez, great idea, Dave. So we went down to the local doctors and we knock on his door and it was Monday morning. I'm like, we're like, how are you, Brian? Uh, where the last time you were? Do you know any nurses? And he says, yeah, Angela's next door. So we knock on Angela's door and we're like, how are you, Angela? Uh, we're the lads in happy pair. We want to reverse heart disease. We've got a great idea. Will you help us? And she says, lads, I will just back off. I will, I will. I'll do whatever you want. So we had a nurse on board and we put up, we put up signs around the shop because we, like it was a, a shop and we put up, uh, yeah. lose weight, sexy, yummy, delicious, reverse heart disease free. And we had 20 people sign up. And uh, the people came along the first night and Angela measured everyone's cholesterol, weight and blood pressure. So he'd starting measurements and they came upstairs to us. And as chefs, we were teaching them how to cook. So it was it was pretty much it was almost like vegetable AA. Like we were teaching them to eat porridge instead of their cornflakes for breakfast. We were teaching them to eat vegetable soups and salads and to make chilies and pad thais and dals and chickpea curry instead of chicken curry. And, you know, and it was everyone was most people were there because they were just curious. And I remember like at the start of every night, everyone would have their arms closed and then you'd start passing things around and they'd go, well, that's not bad. Oh, that's not bad. And then we used to put on videos of, of doctors, you know, because it gave a bit of validity to it. And this is back 10 years ago. So, the, so this it wasn't as prolific as it is nowadays. And um, we didn't know it was going to work. You know, it was four weeks on a, on a whole food plant based diet. So fruit, veg, whole grains, beans and nuts and seeds. And uh, there was an average drop of cholesterol at 20%. Everyone lost weight, blood pressure regulated. And um, yeah, that, that was that was the first time we ever did that course. We called it the Happy Heart Course. And mm-hmm. after a few times running that, it got more notoriety. Like people started writing articles on it in newspapers. And then it got over, it just we couldn't keep up with the demand for it. So we built an online course. And um, yeah, that online course today has gone from one online course to now we have six of them and they're partnered with doctors and dietitians and we've had yeah. 50,000 people through them all across the world. So so they're, and and really that the main message is just getting people to eat fruit, veg, beans, whole grains and nuts. How and do you get people to do that? Like, I mean, it struck me like, yeah, you can convince people and, you know, verbally and you can kind of do a cooking class, right? And I mean, I was a cook as well in London um, and then you come back to them and then you, they still haven't done anything. Right. Like, and you know, like, right. Like, you know, they, they kind of go to the cook shop and maybe they buy all the stuff, but it's still in the cupboard. Right. Like have you got any tips to kind of like, you know, just to inspire people to get people to follow the stuff. Right. I mean, one idea that Stephen came up with is the obvious one that people do love seeing incremental measurements, right. You give them back a week later or another week, you know, and they like that. Right. Like what else is there to, to kind of, you know, I think people are different track community is one of the most important yeah. things to sustain any lifestyle change. And we've found it ourselves and we changed our diet and lifestyle so much. And we came back to Ireland and we had to create a new environment that was going to support us to eat more plant-based, to not drink alcohol and kind of to be, you know, to be inspired to, to move and be athletic. Um, and that's why we started the happy parents. Similarly to anyone listening who wants to create, wants to kind of eat yeah. more plant-based, wants to be healthier. Like in our courses, we find, community if there's an online community to support each other if there's a, a particular start date and finish date there's a sense of completion together there's a sense of here's a form togetherness. here's a kind of right. structure that i'm buying into i'm committing to it i'm going to tell a friend listen i'm doing this thing for four weeks i'm going to do it but but everyone everyone's at different starting points and some people yeah, yeah. are ready to kind of throw all the junk out of their house and get a new plan and commit and go cold turkey at it 
and other people aren't at all. Like they're just, they're ready to just start eating porridge instead of cornflakes. And that's great. That's great because it's, it's really one step at a time. And if it's right, they'll keep changing if it, if it works. But it's kind of meeting people where they're at and kind of trying to be, you know, to, to make it in digestible pieces so it's not all or nothing, you know. And I think health is multifaceted. Like often I, re- I remember it was a while into maybe a couple of years into eating a plant-based diet. I'd meet these people who are raw food diets and they eat kale and I think, oh my God, they must be so enlightened. They'd be quite bitter, kind of mean people. And I was like, surely like you eat loads of kale, you should be kind of like enlightened and like really kind and nice and generous. Why are you being mean? You know, this type of thing. And it was, you know, I, I think it was Jerry Hussey, a friend of mine, um, we were chatting with him recently and he was kind of saying, no amount of green juice will will kind of neutralize a toxic self-image. So I think, you know, food is a certain part of, of a healthy life Human. but it's not everything you know i think it's right. how we deal with stress how we exercise how yeah, much yeah. we get in a sense of purpose i think there's many facets of health and food is one really really important one yeah. but there's, yeah, yeah. there's other four or five elements that are equally as important yeah yeah and you i mean you say you're not drinking at all now you don't drink no i haven't drank. no since now. that since we gave up no. that marathon when we were 21 we we oh, gave you, up then for a week or two weeks, and that two weeks has been twenty years, two decades you now. Passports away, you didn't take your Irish passports away soon, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you, there's no way you can get a drink anyway now. So. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 That's true. Um, right. So we talk about the other elements, and you know, let's bring in a bit of the you know the other stuff you do. I mean, you're famed for those cold water swims, um, which yeah. I mean, <laughs> they go before you. I can't imagine what that's like. Well, talk us through like, roughly like what your kind of daily routine training wise is. And I also want to be like curious about what your general meals are, you know, what, how yeah. are you generally now? Yeah. Yeah. So, so we've got five kids between us. So like life is, we've got, the, there's the business and then there's family life. And then there's trying to have your own life, your own individual relationship with yourself as well. So typically like say this morning, we got up at, I got up around five thirty. I met Steve at six o'clock and we started doing, we're doing a handstand press. We're doing 30 days handstand press training. So we did 30 yeah. minutes of that, which was about 40 minutes of that. It was kind of like the same drills. Like we we're trying to open up our hip flexors and be more flexible in our hips. So that was more repetitive. It's day 21. So it was the same kind of exercises. It was enjoyable. Yeah. It was fun. It's good. Like we're making a, sl- it's like slowly boiling the frog. Like it's slow, <laughs> incremental changes. You are making progress. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of crawling on the floor. looks like. Yeah. Yeah. yeah a lot of mess. <laughs> in it. And then we did, then we did half an hour meditation. So that was about a quarter past seven. Then I ran home to the kids to try to get them to have brekkie because they're now doing online school. So they did had brekkie, got dressed. I ran down to the beaches, or dropped them up to, back up to Jan for school. And then uh, we went to the beach at half eight, and then we went to work after that, kind of at nine. You know, we were down swimming from half eight, so about a quarter to nine. But in, in terms of the swimming... Like a quarter of an hour? Only a quarter of an hour? No, well, that, that was... No, we're only in the, in the sea for less than a minute, but the rest is just chatting. You know, yeah. well, I, I, I think I read you got like over 100 people there sometimes, right? Oh, sometimes oh, yeah. you've had over a thousand, some yeah. days. Yeah, it's something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it, I guess it's something that just, it kind of organically just started. And I think the bit, we never saw ourselves as those crazy people that swim in the sea all year round. We're not one of those. No, yeah. no, no, no siree. But then when you say that, life tends to rub your face and go, you want to yeah. bet? You want to <laughs> bet? <laughs> you do it every day. You do it every day. 
yeah, yeah for about seven, six or seven years. Yeah, so. And it kind of just started organically. And it was a group of us. The bit that made us stick with it was the camaraderie, the sense of friendship, the sense of laughter, the sense of collectively facing this fear and overcoming it together. We yeah. found really, you know, you developed tight kind and, of friends. And, and, and friends. then also, also, if you do it with people, there's so much adrenaline release. There's so much positive endorphins about swimming in the cold sea that the people that you do it with, you get fused, like your relationships become yeah. very deep quickly because you're there's so yeah. much positivity. And then your conversations and you immediately become close friends with all these people. I see you taking people down there like Joe Wicks, haven't you? You put him yeah. in the sea. Yeah, yeah. Do you like? Time, yeah, he came, at that time last May, or no, it was May a couple of years ago, back pre-corona, there was probably a thousand people at that morning. It was like 5.30 a.m. There was a heap of us there. We did a big public swim rise. yeah. Um, how, how long do you go in for? How many minutes? It varies, but like say this time of year. Is it warmer in the, is it warmer in the summer? A little bit. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah summer yeah. it could get up to 16, 17 degrees Celsius. So, but so, so at the, the moment, moment it's about six. Got right. down below six. It was five degrees the other day. And that's like four degrees is called ice swimming. So it's Any, like, anything below five degrees is ice swimming. Because it can't, it's moving water. So it can't harden. It has to be like, I don't know, how, minus 10 for it to actually go solid. Yeah, but right, right. It's cold. It's kind of. I, I often feel that once it goes below six degrees, it's like getting into like ice or glass. Like it feels like it's or so acid or something piercing yeah. so, so that it burns that you're kind of like, is it hot or cold? I don't yeah, know. Right. Very yeah, yeah, intense. Yeah. I don't yeah. know what it is, but, but there's a wonderful kind of cathartic feeling, a sense of like, you know, yeah. embracing nature. You often say it's injecting nature into yeah. your veins. Yeah. It's I think like, it's like, it is, it's like in a world that's slightly deficit of nature, you know, that connection. When you get into that sea in the morning, it's like mainlining nature. It's just like, but, I mean, it is beautiful, like when you see the picture of it. And it is strange because I mean, like, I think I read someone said, Well, I've been living in Greystones for all my life and I've never been in the sea. You know? Yeah. I mean, and that probably could happen because the sea is bloody cold there. So it's like, yeah. it's, it's such a shame, isn't it? You're, you're surrounded by all that coastline. And yet, you know, same in England, you don't go in it because it's generally too cold. Well, well, interesting enough now during Corona, there's there's more and more people swimming yeah. every day. Like this, there's more people than ever before. Like we were just down in the beach there taking photos for something. And there's like at lunchtime and there was, there must have been like five different groups of 10 or 15 people swimming on their lunch break, like just in the sea, you know, and this is one little beach. Then the other end of the town, there'd be lots of it. Like, it's just, it's not strange anymore for people to be swimming yeah, all year yeah. round. Like it's become, it's normalized like sea swimming. How do you feel about starting that trend? Oh, well, I can't say we started it. There were lots of people who started it before us, but I, I guess we're one of many that do it now, and it's wonderful. It's really, really fun. So I was going to say, how do, you, how do you kind of partition your life now, right? You've got that daily routine of the swimming, right? And then like, what, what happens after that? So, to, you know, to, yeah. so most mornings we'll start with training, meditation, and a swim. And that's, that's kind of, you've got those bits done. And then try to have brekkie with the family or bring the kids to school. Right. And then or, work. work is, that. Hmm? Something like porridge, something, I mean, you know. Yeah, just yeah, we, we have porridge yeah. 365 days a year. My kids <laughs> love it, I love it. It's, you know, yeah, maybe not three, this six, morning was, three, six. This morning was funny. Elsie wanted, she wanted bran flakes. Like she likes bran flakes. So I went to the supermarket. I said, I'll be back at a quarter past seven with bran flakes. And when I was in the supermarket, I hadn't been in the supermarket in, in ages buying cereal. And I saw two cereals that we used to buy as kids. Like mom used to buy them, Alpen and Country Stores. Like, ah, oh, great, I'm going to buy a box of them. And we're all going to have, we're going to eat my childhood cereals. So I had like a big bowl of country store and a big bowl of album this morning. 
And then I felt stuffed to the bed. <laughs> and then I gave them to Steve because I was like, I don't want to eat them anymore. They're like, that was fun for a day, but I'll stick yeah, to my character cheese. But our work is very varied. Like we did director's walk from nine to 10. Then what was I doing? I was doing uh, we uh, an online baking course we just launched. So I was kind of yeah. doing work on that and our happy good course. Then I didn't, we were, were kind of doing a TV thing, a TV show. So I did an interview about that. Then we've this. Then we're doing happy good stuff. Oh, it's yeah, very yeah. varied. It's, it's, it's like for lunch, what do, you, what do you have for lunch? Well, fortunately, we have a cafe, so we just walk up to the cafe there, and there was I, a sweet and ginger soup. There was sourdough Irish spelt bread. There was I had a falafel pita toasted. I had a Reuben sandwich toast, a vegan one. I had a, I had a flat white, an oat flat white. I had a bit of a cookie. You know, like <laughs> we're in do a very. Have, do, you have a, do you have like a philosophy? Like, do you have like a like, do you eat like the main meal at lunch and dinner, yeah. or do you, does it matter to you, or, or what do you do? Yeah, do you have I any particular guidelines my, around it? In my house, I tend to eat the dinner in the middle of the day. I tend to eat loads, like between ten and four. I eat that's when I eat most of my food, and then in the evening, it's more for social. Me and Sab will sit and have a bowl of soup, like, and right. that's dinner time. And that might be around six, but the main meal I'll typically always eat in the middle of the day. That's in my house, your house. Yeah, and I, I, I think our, our, our guess our relationship with food has matured and like there's no right or wrong with food, but, but we've kind of come to the place that I think food isn't necessarily a moral thing, like good or bad, but you have better choices or worse choices in terms of your own health and the health of the planet. And yeah. I don't think, you know, joy, and like we were asked recently, you know, name three superfoods that you'd recommend for 2021. And people were expecting right. to say, you know, functional mushrooms or it's turmeric or no, 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 it's chaga. Oh, it's chaga. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Chaga. Uh, yeah. And I, I kind of came out that I, I think it's laughter, joy, and friendship are three of the most important things. And if if food will help give you more laughter, eat it. If food will help bring right. more joy and connection, brilliant. Like if you're going to be sitting there eating kale going, I hate fucking kale, don't eat the kale. But if you're going yeah. to have pizza going, this is gorgeous. I'm so happy. Have the pizza and enjoy it. Make love to it metaphorically. Yeah. <laughs> Let's clarify that. <laughs> <laughs> right. So there's kind of basic guidelines, which are quite reasonable, really. Um, and what about, I mean, because kind of bringing people together, right, rather than ostracizing people, this is my diet, this is my thing. And, you know, but are you, would you ever, like, say you went around to someone's house, and this is the classic thing, they'd cook some meat or something, you know, it would how would you do then, right? There's probably something like I guess we're in a fortunate position that anyone inviting us for dinner True, probably, probably know. Probably yeah. know. But if we, if we were away yeah. somewhere and and someone invited you for dinner, I'd probably bring something with me to start with. Okay. So didn't yeah, okay. have to endure that that kind of awkward moment. Yeah. And generally, there's something other than the meat. There'll probably be potatoes or something, and just eat a whole lot of potatoes and go. Oh, you know. And I've kind of learned over the years not to necessarily be. I'm a vegan. It's like, oh no, I just don't feel like eating that. Yeah. So, no. Thanks to nail because there's nothing worse than the whole conversation about your fucking diet. Yeah. I've oh, had that conversation. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and yeah. I think after a while once you kind of feel more comfortable with your diet you don't have a need to talk about it all the time or to be the center of attention like it doesn't need to be the main thing you know it's right. just, just part of who you are so i, I kind about, of what about, I just, your kids? what about your kids do you I mean, what do you do with them do you give them a free choice or do you bring them up vegan absolutely yeah Yeah. well my daughter may was born she's 10 now and my wife's polish i was kind of adamant that i want to raise her a vegan this is really important for me and you know i yeah. I, I, I want to lead this please support me and she said okay cool uh, and my wife's Polish. And when we go over to Poland, my mother-in-law and father-in-law, they keep all their own animals. It's extremely animal-centric. They eat a lot of animal-based food. Uh, and I'm weird. 
they still like 10 years later they don't know what to make of me you know they love mm -hmm. me i'm still a bit weird um, and like if i'm leaving may with my my mother and father-in-law and going oh yeah see you later now make sure she's vegan like good luck like it just doesn't work so i've kind of yeah. learned that, that that expression that it takes a community to raise a child and that like you know, I'm one and I'm important, but there's other people too that are important. And, you know, when she's at home, she eats a vegan diet. When she's not, you know, be a kid, make her own choices. You know, uh, what's most important to us anyway, uh, not us as parents, but us as humans, it's kind of to encourage our children to have a good attitude towards food and be, you know, curious and yeah, to yeah. come to whatever it is that makes sense to them in time. Mm -hmm. It's funny, my daughter May, like she was cooking, she got a Harry Potter uh, cookbook and she was baking muffins and it's natural for her now to like, she sees eggs and it's, oh, that's flax egg. Oh yeah, I'll use this. Like she'll naturally convert any relation, any, any recipe to be vegan. Cause that's just, that's what daddy does. That's, that's what we do, isn't it? That's hilarious. Yeah. 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 And in my house, in my house, uh, like I've got, I've been separated for six years. So my kids go between two houses and their mom is not vegan. So with her, they eat, now she eats a great, she eats a lot of fruit and veg and a lot of whole foods, but there is lots of animal foods as well. So in my personal house, there's, you know, it's daddy and Sabrina, they eat plant-based diets, so they eat a vegan diet with us and they're grand with it. And it's it like, it's interesting, you know, because we have lots of interesting discussions. So there's no forcing of anything on them. They are very much do their things. So. Yeah, yeah. You can find substitutes for eggs, et cetera, et cetera, now quite easily, right? Like things have changed, right? Like, oh, yeah. I mean, it was a lot, a lot harder early on, right? Like, I, I remember being stuck myself a lot of times. You'd be at a train station or something or somewhere, you know, you need something to eat. It'd be like nothing. Bananas. Nothing to eat. Yeah, yeah. I remember eating a bag of Brazil nuts once. And, you know, there's nothing else to eat. I had a whole bag of Brazil nuts and felt really sick. I tried to practice yoga for some reason afterwards as well. It always sticks <laughs> in my mind. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, but what about the, um, I mean, you, you know, you've come to, you know, quite a high exposure now. Obviously, like, you know, plant-based is really trending, you know, like, You've had a, an incredible product for ages, you know, and what you've been doing. Um, how has it, has it changed if you put it at all? You're working with people like Jamie Oliver, um, who actually went to my school. He was the same school. Um, wow. Two years, two years older. Um, wow. So, uh, you know, like you're working with like really, you know, top and famous people. And have you had an influence on them or have they influenced you? And, and has it changed your viewpoints at all? What have you learned from this kind of, this kind of exposure, the number one cookbooks, the crazy success that you've recently had? Well, I think like anyone you meet, like whether it be Anne here from across the road, we all have an impact on each other, whether oh, whether right. conscious or unconscious. And yeah. often when you meet these people, often you realize oh, they're just like an insecure human like me trying to do their best. You know, and, and I think once you see beneath the veneer, you kind of realize that they're, you know, they're a lovely human and they're doing great work. But, you know, Mary across the road with her dog called Charlie is equally as important. And it kind of. I don't know. It, it's almost like you see beneath the veil or the veneer. Of but this. I think I think the one thing, like that, that's one thing you say. I would think that, uh, like sometimes you have these ideas that you know, and it's more a cultural programming that you know, uh, money, houses, sex, fame. These kind of are the things that lead to happiness. You know, that's the, the one of the underlying cultural messages that we get subconsciously, and it's kind of baked into a lot of us in the Western world. Yeah. I think meeting these people that are quote unquote, very successful in those, that kind of way, you realize that they're now they're kind of almost shifting more into how do they have a better relationship with themselves, that they've kind of, right. they've mm -hmm. done those things that you're supposed to meant to do to be successful. And now you, I almost see more a shift that they're more interested in their relationship with themselves and the things that are less measurable, you know, that, that they're more curious about those things. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. 
did it take a long time to get to the place of a successful business? I mean, did you start off successful or I don't think so, right? No, we started off two hippies with a dream and a little red yeah. van. We used to get up at 4.30 a.m. and go into the fruit market and come back and sell vegetables. And yeah. we, you know, we would have yeah. taken a holiday for the first seven years. And it wasn't because we wanted a holiday. It was like, we're just having way too much fun. This is deadly. I don't want to do anything else. And, you know, once we opened the cafe, I kind of trained up as a chef underneath our head chef at the time. And then I was cooking and I was fascinated with it and I was doing what I loved. And it, it was and, like a mission. And even I think those those definitions of success is so arbitrary. And I guess COVID has made most people realize like what is success and what like, you know, it's certainly gave a lot of people the time to reflect on what is success and what is important. And I think we've been on this journey turning 40. We're 41 now. And, you know, turning 40, there's a milestone and kind of going, what's important in my life? Am I prioritizing the right things? And COVID also like amplified this the whole last year that like what is successful is so arbitrary. Like the typical measurements of success are like, no, I want to, when I look in the mirror in the evening, I feel happy in myself that I'm that I'm making time to meditate, that I'm being a good role model for my kids. I'm a good twin brother. I'm a good, I'm like, all those things I think are becoming much more and more important rather than the, did, geez, how many books do we sell this? Do we sell loads of books? Yeah, yeah sell you know. loads of apples. Loads oh, of apples. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Millions of apples. You know, like, because those bits are all fun, but ultimately we're all sitting by ourselves. Right. You know, sure enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What about if you two, I mean, just, a practical question what about if you're really busy and you want to keep up the diet right and you know you're traveling around you're doing all this stuff you know and diet can easily go out the window for people at this point right you got any tips for like quick meals that you like go-to meals this is the meal yeah. well like when yeah. we're traveling and we're busy we always bring a food bag with us so we're like yeah. we bring a mobile pantry with us like it's as big as our our clothes bag like because like yeah. food is it's been so important to us to just like always have decent quality food where you're not stuck on the run and there only is those fast food kind of options. So we'll always bring a food bag with hummus, with crackers, with, you know, probably fruit, with nuts, with, you know, a very, a variety of different type of things. Some that last longer than others. And uh, typically when we're away for a few days, we'll always have a food bag and we'll replenish it a few times. And we'll, and even sometimes it's cool. I quite like traveling without a food bag because I'm forced out of my comfort zone and actually forced to like, you know, go in and have a little rummage around and go, what is there available? I don't often go to those shops. I should go in and have a little rummage and see, you know, are, are there more yeah. things available that I'd be curious about? So, but we've always... Even when you go to, even when you go to Poland. Yeah, and Poland, should... a huge shift in Poland. And even like, yeah. you'll always find, like, I think, one, I think it's really important for us as a species to get more in touch with hunger. I think food has become, I think it was Rangan Chatterjee who was saying like, you know, are you eating to fill your stomach or to fill your empty heart? Uh, as in, you know, <laughs> that's something like that. Something you like that nature, I butchered it, sorry, Rangan. But um, in, in essence, it's like food used to be for sustenance, for survival, for a means of continuing to exist. Whereas food now is often a distraction from when we feel sad, lonely, tired. Yeah. Well, the moment. Yeah. And yeah. we want a dopamine release. So I think hunger is something that very few of us really experience on a regular basis and that it's, Often, you know, for a number of years, I used to fast a day a week and I found it very beneficial for just becoming more aware of my relationship with food and just... Now, he hasn't fasted for about 10 years now, just to clarify, he's trying to big himself up. I was going to say, well, I was just bringing you back down in case you're trying to paint a picture of you. No, but uh, but, uh, I guess, you know, if you are traveling without, you know, great food choices, look at the times when you sit and you eat just 10 apples. 
I'm so eat a bunch of bananas and go, geez, they were lovely. I'm sick of bananas now. <laughs> and I'm probably, yeah. Where, where are you going next? What are you probably doing next? Going to the office, probably. Yeah, I'll probably go I think we're like we're we're realized like I think the whole COVID thing's been a really interesting time, as I said about what's important. And I think certainly not rushing back to jumping on planes and being really busy again. Oh really? Right. Yeah, yeah. No, it's really nice to kind of actually go slow and you know, like as we said, like usually at the turn of every year we write a big long list of things that we want to of accomplish. The achievements we want to what we want them. to accomplish. Whereas this year we wrote two things and we both came to it separately. It was like meditate more and slow down. And those, that's really, that's the work which we're trying to do amongst all the other responsibilities, which we have of running the business and having a team and being family men and all the various responsibilities with that. But uh, you've got four cafes now or one or how many cafes you got? Cause it, uh, we had four, but now we're down to one because that's what I thought because the COVID and everything. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm, not sure. I'm not sure if any of the others will emerge. I mean, it sounded crazy because you're running back in the car and, you know, and then everyone wants to see you at the other cafe, right? Like, so, yeah. you know, I could, I could imagine the seat, like that, that situation. What's the, but on that line, what's the biggest kind of lessons you learned from running this business over the years? Uh, I think one of them, it's easy to fall in for the trappings of kind of growth. And as a business owner, you know, there's gr- people going, geez, you're doing amazing where you turn over, over, over 10 million. And well, you employ 200 people. And what are you doing with all the money? money? You know, you right. hear all these type of things and it's very, it's hard not to fall for the trappings of it. And I remember we kind of borrowed a load of money, you know, I think it was a million and a half. And we were planning and we built a centralized production facility and we we're going to open loads of cafes. And we found out we were extremely busy, but you know, it was kind of like, what for? Like, what's all this for? And right, right. rest and stress. You mean you have a couple, couple of Ferraris in the garage back there? No. <laughs> no. 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 Well, I guess all. we've never really been interested in personal wealth. It's never really been. Oh, really? No, it's never. We've never really. Like, no, that. like you still rent a house. I, I, at the moment, where I'm trying to buy a house. But then like, Renault we, give us cars. Like, you know, we've like, never really been interested in those things. So it's like, I'm sure they'll all happen. But we're, uh, yeah, we're quite yeah. happy. You know, quality of life. Like our, I, I liked that a quote that I saw recently, and it's like the wealthiest person isn't the person that has the most; the person that needs the least. And I thought that's that's a nice mantra to kind of aim towards. Mm-hmm. And also, and also, I'd say uh, we're extremely wealthy in friendship and humans, and like our life is oh, it's bubbling over with humans. There's so many. Yeah, I can only imagine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you ever want to come visit, like, please do. I will visit you at some point. Yeah, we have a lot of, yeah, yeah, it's like a really interesting, colorful, fun little place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What are your favorite foods? Favorite food? Yeah. Uh, I love breakfast the most. (laughs) Like, I love breakfast. I've had had, had three breakfasts already today, and it's now two o'clock. Like I had, I had two two of those oat pots with date caramel. Oh, they were lovely, but nothing. And then I had brekkie you know, before. So yeah, I had three brekkies already today, and it's like you like the sweet. You like the sweet stuff. Uh, no, he's more the sweet man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love. Like I quite. I guess your baking course looks incredible. By the way, your vegan baking course with the tiramisu and that. Yeah, it's, oh, it's, it's very good. Very good. It took months and months of tinkering and messing and experimenting. Yeah. Really trying to delve into the science to understand, you know, what... Are you, are you training yourself, by the way? 
on that front now in the baking and that kind of front are you looking to other people to train you or yeah, you know no, like I, I guess having like say we started our cafe 16 years ago and training under like back then you couldn't get a formal training in plant-based cooking it was no. had to do traditional culinary yeah. class or culinary school so we trained under doreen palmer who she'd been teaching and being a vegetarian chef for 30 years so trained under her and then ran kitchens here for 10 years more than 10 yeah. years and then probably expedited our learning even more by doing youtube and doing um doing right cookbooks because you're yeah. forced to continuously understand the relationship of food and very quickly it's like any language once you learn a language and how verbs are conjugated you can start to kind of or a bit like you once you've under once you learned yoga when you were a very good practitioner when you went to teach it you probably learned even more because when you're actually distilling the message you yeah, learn yeah, personally yeah. a lot more when you become the teacher so so similarly with i guess once you understand the language of food and the relationship and how the components relate to each other suddenly you start kind of i can do this this is easy i i can I can lead this on. I don't need it. This people aren't doing this, and but I can do it. I, I understand it. What's your favorite cookbooks apart from yours? Um, I like some of Mira Soda's. I quite like her one. East Coast okay. is quite quite nice. Uh, other yeah, one go to cookbook. I don't really look at any cookbooks. <laughs> I love them. cookbooks. You, yeah, you but I love exactly. looking at them. I love I love browsing through them. What other ones do I like? There's one called. What's it called? It's called what about um, have you got that? You mean uh, Yamuna Devi's um, Krishna's Vegetarian Kitchen? That's that's good if you like Indian food. Wow. That's that's a, wow. that's a fun trip. Yeah, oh, that sounds. Yeah. Like, I got two ones last week from uh, friends. They're both doctors. The plant based diet revolution. That's I mean kind of interesting. Doctor that that's good. That's Doctor Al's. And we Bob do wrote good the course. recipes, which will be interesting. And then Doctor Gemma's book. I'm kind of interested. In. They're both sitting at home, which I will look at at some point. So where, I mean, are you going to, what is it, what's the learning now? Med, learning in meditation, learning more in cooking, where, you know, what are you looking every, towards? I think we're fascinated with life, like just yeah. curious with everything. I was listening to two podcasts yesterday on emotional intelligence. So I was really interested in that. And I'm reading, I, I read, I read a great book, one of the best books I've read in 20 years. It was called The Surrender Experiment. It was a great one. It was by the guy who wrote that book, The Untethered Soul, which you might've heard of. Right. It's his journey. It was a lovely book. Don't Chapter, it, I'm read it. Chapters are three pages long, which was great for the for, you know for someone that's not a, a brilliant yeah. reader. Uh, and I can, can I talk one of one of yeah. our fa one of the favorite things that I'm enjoying right now is, and it came out of coronavirus. Was this we call it a podcast club, and it came about that when Corona came on the scene, um, a, a doctor we know, Doctor Zach Bush. He released an interview talking about Corona and it was very technical and it was very interesting. It was quite different to what mainstream media was going. So I asked a friend of ours, Sean, he's a doctor. Sean, when you listen to that podcast and we can sit around, you know, socially distance and talk about like, is the medical stuff he's saying true or is he talking quacker? Like, what's the story? So, so we all listened to the podcast. There were four of us and we sat around and we discussed it. And then it was like, geez, this is really interesting. Like we do this next week and like, Al, you pick a podcast. So Al picked one on stoicism. So we all listened to it. We just sat around and discussed it. And then and there, was five, five, and there was five or six and then yeah. more, more people. And then it went online because you couldn't sit near people for but, quite but a while. There's quite a diverse group that swim in the sea, whether they be Linda and yeah. Deck in their 70s and one of them was an ex-nun or whether it be Eric who's from Kazakhstan, who's in his 50s or whether it be, you know, Hugo who's 25. There's quite a diverse group of people and, Everyone picks something different, whether it be about, you know, what is creativity, whether it be about EQ versus IQ, whether it be well, about... Why they said, I mean, it, it doesn't seem like a diverse place, Greystones, 
are they coming through your cafe or how is it how is it so diverse or it's just become like that now become no, more no, like yeah maybe time, it's yeah. just become i guess time like over time or whatever right. but this little, it's almost like a little talking circle where yeah, everyone, like, listen, everyone listens to this podcast and then everyone has four or five minutes to say their thoughts on it and it's just a really interesting little because it's almost like a talking circle it expo- it's like the modern day read like book club but instead of reading a book you listen to a podcast and yeah, yeah, yeah. a book could take a month to read versus a podcast you can listen in an hour yeah, yeah. and because it's a diverse group it means you're exposed to a lot of different ideas and you have to listen to each other and you have and to articulate yourself personal. it's very good it's been a really nice. yeah. and I guess we've done some of it out when we were allowed to sit outside we'd sit outside or then when it's on Zoom <laughs> if you're not allowed you know before I let you go I was going to ask you you're really quite out there on the social media you do a great job um but you're quite honest and you're quite out there. And I've noticed a couple of times you're talking about dealing with negativity online. There's a lot of negativity online. You must have had it yourselves. Does that hurt? And how do you deal with it? Yeah, of yeah. course, being sensitive humans, I think, like yeah. everyone, of course. And yeah. all egos, it's like, oh, no, oh, someone said something. I don't want to play this yeah. game anymore. <laughs> we've, all, we've all had it, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah of course. course. I, I think being fortunate to have each other and Dave Augustine, yeah, right. like it's someone that's just feeling bad and they've never met you and like, take it easy. Like, it really doesn't matter. It's got nothing to do with you. Like, yeah, you know. yeah. yeah. And, and I, I guess it's, it's fortunate having Dave or someone like that that can put things in perspective. But... Some days it, it, you feel heavy and you're like, ah, oh, fuck it, I don't want to play that game anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm going home. You know that way? Yeah, yeah. But no, by and large, I, like, typically I'll only use social media when I feel like that's, I'm something excited and I want to share about. And, you know, I, that's about, that's most of the time. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, that's generally my predisposition. So I'm <laughs> typically delighted to share and talk and, you know, um, you know. All right. But, but, but at the same time, it's a double-edged sword because, you know, although social media has been a wonderful amplifier of, you know, values that we really hold very close it's also as it grows there's people's expectation then it's beneficial for the business then you got to keep it going you want to keep engagement you want to keep content coming and some days you're like i don't want to play it but it's like okay i gotta do it so you know it's it's a double-edged sword as anyone who does it yeah, regularly i just hear sort of like a hungry monster and it's never satisfied you know whatever you do right there's always the next day yeah right? you know what it- <laughs> But I guess it's a bit like a yoga practice. People might look at you and go, how the heck do you do an hour every day? Like, that's so hard. But like, for you, it's kind of like, it's just nor like it's yeah. business as usual, you know? So it's, yeah, yeah. You just, some days it just happens without you even knowing you're doing it. That's, yeah, that, that's the idea. Well, um, just to wrap it up, um, what, what, give me um, something you'd like to work on, like an obstacle you have that, you, you know, you want a better, um, and then a, a guilty pleasure. Ah. Um, oh. Great. Uh, something I want to work on, meditating more. I'm really enjoying it and being more patient. You know, often, I guess, part of our, or at least my predisposition, I'm fascinated. I'm curious. I just want to get into everything. I want to do it now. So it's like often in the evenings, I can be tired and a little bit overwhelmed. I come home and the kids are just, ah! and it's hard to maintain patience yeah. and to be, not be overwhelmed with it. So, you know, something I'm working on is meditating more so that I'm just, you know, I can be more grand in my release of energy as opposed to, ah! And then oh fuck I'm tired yeah so yeah that's one thing and I'd say I'm probably working most on like I think at the root of everything is your relationship with yourself so I think to constantly be aware of my relationship with myself and how I'm treating myself in each moment because that's mm-hmm. so I'd say that's that would be my thing and guilty pleasure I don't see you I, looking I, I have a load of pleasures I have so many pleasures I love chocolate I love chocolate I've, I've kind of I guess as a chef coffee I've and sweet fa- things I've been fascinated with kind of the pursuit of flavor and coffee has more flavor notes than red wine and 
you know, we opened a roastery back a few years ago and I've been fascinated with just yeah, I saw that, different yeah. origins and different yeah. roast profiles and different processing around coffee, how it affects the flavor. And similarly with chocolate, it has so many, the this, this subtle aspects of bean to bar chocolate, I just adore. And I, I dream of opening, I dream of opening a bean to bar chocolate shop someday. Give me an, an inspiration, one inspiration to finish it off. Inspiration. Maybe a person, a book, or something that inspires you. Yeah. Uh, well, at the moment, I like as I said, that book, The Surrender Experiment, I thought that was one of the best books I've read in 20 years. It was just, right. I found it really, really, it spoke deeply to me just about the acceptance of life and the surrendering and the actual, you know, trying to let go of your own ego of what you think is right and wrong and just surrender to the present moment, really, as much as you can, because... There's so much more inherent wisdom in the in life than we think, and it really yeah. is there. If we can surrender to it, it's probably there to serve us in more cases than we think. And retrospectively, yeah. you can kind of validate that. But in the moment, it's sometimes difficult. And I'd, I'd go with just spending time in nature. I always find that the most. You know, we live in quite a disconnected society that we're you know we're inside, we're on screens, we're on social media, and I think yeah. you know it's connecting in with that natural rhythm of life. I think can be very you know, connect you into a deeper part of yourself and a more satisfying sense self that's less, you know, affected by the ups and downs of life, but you're more just like, ah, sure. Good luck, bad luck. Thanks, guys. Thanks for coming. Thanks for your time. Oh, You're wonderful. Oh, sure. Beautiful. Good Great crack. Thanks, man. And come visit any time. Genuinely. Yeah, we've got a little place that we put people up in. So if you do want to come when the world opens up, please just, just say, hey, I'm thinking of coming these dates and we can put you up in that place in Fiji and you can swim and do yoga and have a laugh. You don't know about the swimming, but I'll take you up on it. Yeah, definitely. Thanks, Adam. Thanks. Cheers. Bye. Thanks, bye. Bye. Thanks bye. for the time.